just for today, I'm going to leave and our continuing studies in Second Peter would be coming to verse 11, or First Peter, chapter 2, verse 11. We'll leave it uh, until next week. So I do invite you to turn with me to First John, chapter 5. First John, chapter 5. First John, chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 1. John chapter 5 verse 1 Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 15. I pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading 
of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It reads as follows. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, (coughs) even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I can remember on one occasion speaking to Dr. Paisley about these particular verses. At that time I was a helping Dr. Paisley, doing some pastoral work, along with Dr. McElveen here, in the Martyr's Memorial. And speaking to him in the office there in the Martyr's Memorial, I was asking him, Dr. Paisley, what do these verses really, really mean? And straight away he started to explain the verse, and uh, and I said, well, hold on there, write down that outline, because straight away he just gave an outline for this verse. And, And he entitled it, The Birth the battle and the belief. And I remember writing it down, a couple of little headings, and I went away rejoicing, because any time I did speak to him face to face or on the telephone, and he would always have asked me what I was reading or studying and started to tell him, and he would have told me little things that come to his mind and things that he was meditating on. And usually the things that he told me, I of course recorded them because I thought those were so sweet and so blessing Uh, to my own soul uh, and they could be used as an outline to to preach uh, the word of God Uh, and thinking about the battle uh, I was speaking last week in Balna Hinch as you know on the words remember the battle Uh, and the theme of battle has been in my mind even since before the congress uh, and since it uh, and after it Uh, and um, this uh, just brings it home Uh, something else that we need to meditate upon. So that's our theme for this morning. I'm just taking Dr. Paisley's uh, heading, uh, the battle, or the birth, the battle, and the belief. And let me just give you that outline. It's his outline. Uh, I readily confess that, uh, but it's my own material. Uh, So um, as you think of the verse, look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God. Now, Now let's stop there. There's a tremendous birth, isn't there? You see, fallen man, sinful and spoiled man, can never enter God's pure and sinless heaven. Sin and God cannot cannot coexist. They, They can't dwell together. Isn't it written in Habakkuk the prophet, God is of pure eyes, and behold, iniquity. And if the sinner is going to get to heaven... That sinner has to be remade. He he must be reborn. He must become or be made sinless before God to enter into heaven. Listen to what John uh, wrote in the Revelation, uh, which is really the unveiling of Christ. He says in verse 27 of chapter 21, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, how therefore can we sinful creatures enter into heaven? Here's the answer. 
for whatsoever is born of God. Remember in John chapter 3 and 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see or understand the kingdom of God. Now, young people, notice the voice of authority. You see, if you get a letter and the letter's addressed to you and there's something very important in the letter, uh, what's important will probably be highlighted either in bold text or maybe even underlined. And here's the Lord Jesus with the voice of authority. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus was a religious man. And he come to Christ and he said, Good master. But Jesus said to him, I say unto thee. Now, here's the great battleground in religion. The battleground in religion is a question of authority. Some argue for the authority of the church. The church says this and that. Some argue for the authority of the Pope. The Pope says this and that. And of course the media will take cognizance of what the Pope says. Some argue for the authority of so-called theological scholarship. And I'm all on for a theological education and for good biblical scholarship. But I'm thinking about those that are um, unbiblical. But here... In John 3 and 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus about being born again, he prefaces what he says by verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. Here's the unchallengeable authority of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God enthroned in human flesh. Surely we would say this morning, let Jesus Christ speak. Let the church, therefore, no matter what denominational tag it has, let the church be silent. Let the scholars be silent. Let the Pope himself be silent. Let Christ speak. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. Verily, verily, or truly, truly. In other words, there's no doubt about it. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no maybes. This is something that's sure. Something that's certain. Something that's absolutely right and true and necessary. There's one thing needful. One thing that's necessary to get to heaven. And that is the new birth. To be born again. To be born of God. Born from above. The second birth is from above. Now you're familiar, I'm familiar, there's a birth that's human. We've all experienced that. The Bible says that which is born of flesh is flesh. And it remains flesh. The first birth is natural. We're born of woman. And it makes men sinful. We're all born sinners by nature and practice. But the second birth is spiritual. And it's the second birth that makes men holy and fit for heaven. The first birth brings us into a state of sin and condemnation. The second birth brings us into a state of surety and salvation. John says, For whatsoever 
is born of God. In other words, there's a birth that is divine. A birth from above. A birth of God. A birth that's supernatural. And of course, that's what the new birth is. It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and the human soul. It's the act of God wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know that you're born again of the Holy Spirit? Let me just emphasize to you, I believe it is manifest itself when you recognize that you're a sinner. You become conscious of your own sinnership. And your sin becomes a felt reality. You're conscious of your sins, of thought and word and deed. Your, your, your chief sins, your, 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 your sins that you're, you're, you're probably um, reveling, they come to the fore. They're there in your mind. That's the first step. And, and that comes about as the work of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit of God that convicts us and convinces us of our sin. And, and the second step beyond that is, is to repent of the sin. Remember the psalmist said, I, I was made sorry for my sin. Truly sorry. Well, if you're sorry, it's, it's sorry enough to quit. It's the soul's divorce. It, it, it's turning from sin to the Savior. That's what repentance is. It's stopping it altogether. And then the third step is receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Calling on God for mercy. Doesn't the Bible say, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And receiving Christ by faith. And, and living by faith. And trusting in the promises of the word of God alone. The new birth is the act of God. Wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit. But, but it's manifested in this way. There's a recognition of sin. There's a repentance. There's a reception of Christ. But as many as received him to them give he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Now let me ask you this morning. Have you experienced this tremendous birth? Because there's a birth here. Notice secondly. There's a terrible battle. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice in these couple of references here, you've got the words, overcometh the world, mentioned three times. Twice in verse 4, and once in verse 5. You see, I want you to understand this morning that the the the, 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 the natural birth and the spiritual are locked in a most terrific battle of all ages. And I believe that from the moment we get saved and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour, this is a, a continual conflict. And it never ceases the sight of the grave. And it only ceases when we, when we die or when Jesus Christ will return from heaven and take us home to himself. And this is a life or death struggle. Remember what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. He said this, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Why? For it is not subject to the law of God. 
neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If we're born of the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will begin to manifest itself in our hearts and lives. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you'll get the answer there in the book of Galatians. Remember what Paul says there in Galatians chapter 5. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is. What's the first thing he mentions? Love. And of course it's, it's love to God. And love to Christ. And in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, you've got the works of the flesh. And he says in Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? And he mentions them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. You see, we're in a mortal struggle in this battle of all ages against our enemy. And our enemy is threefold it's the devil. Satan, the accuser of the brethren. It's our flesh, inward remaining corruption. And also, it's the world. And John only mentions the world here. Now, there's other enemies against the Christian, the one that's born of God. But he only mentions the world. Now, what is the world? When we think about the world, what, what do you boys and girls think? What do you young people think? Well, what do you men and women think? Well, we probably think about the globe hanging in cosmic space and maybe we think about the size of the world. We think about the creative order. And you're sort of thinking, well, overcoming what? Is, is, is that to do with overcoming the trees? Have I to become a tree hugger? Or, or, or overcoming the weeds in the garden? Or overcoming the thorns? Or, or whatever. Well, the Bible doesn't leave us to conjecture as to what it means. Turn over there again in 1 John chapter 2 and look with me at verse 15. 1 John 2 and 15. We've been thinking about this word love. It's come up in our hymns. It's come up in our readings. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, notice these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when John says, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, what he's saying is, that the world is... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
the pride of life. And he who is born of God overcomes that. You see, you and I are battling against the world's fashions. We were thinking yesterday uh, from our platform in Market Hill about the world's battles. And the greatest of all battles, I believe, are not fought on soil. Now, there's many famous battles that have been fought on soil. We think of the Battle of the Somme. Did you know in the Battle of the Somme on the 1st of July 1916 that there was 19,240 soldiers from the British Army that died in that battle? Did you know that 5,500 of them were from this 36th Ulster Division, men of the original Ulster Volunteer Force from Northern Ireland? Hardly a village and town in Northern Ireland that wasn't affected uh, with the loss and human sacrifice for that battle. Did you know that out of 801 from the Connaught Rangers, 600 of whom were from West Belfast, Roman Catholics who had enlisted in the British Army, that in the second day of July when the roll call was made, only 81 appeared. The rest had perished. We could think about the battle on D-Day. 70 years ago it was celebrated on the 6th of June, uh, 1944, when the uh, Allied Exhibitionary Force landed on the beaches of Normandy. Five of them, 4,000 soldiers, lost their lives. The Battle of Waterloo had 8,000. And, and, and loss of life. And there's many famous battles in history that we could think about. But listen to me. The greatest battle of all is not fought on soil. The greatest battle of all is fought in the soul. There's a battle for man's soul. John Bunyan wrote the book, The Holy War. If I was going to give a title for 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, I would call it, and I will call it, The Holy War. You see, there's an old book called The World's Customs. And that old book cries, conform. Conform to the world. It's lifestyle, it's standards. And the world's lifestyle and standard is a lifestyle and standard without God, independent of God, anti-God. We who are born of God refuse to let the world squeeze us into its mould. We refuse to live by the lust of the flesh. We refuse to live by the lust of the eyes. We refuse to live by the pride of life. We say I am what I am by the grace of God. But what have we got to be proud about? The answer is nothing. The world's fashions, we battle against it. It's mindset, it's thinking, it's lifestyle. And this is not just the right thing to do. This is the only thing to do. This is what we must do and should do because we have been born of God. Isn't this what Paul was saying to the church at Rome whenever he had given a doctrinal exposition of what they're to believe. And then he said, by way of practical application in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, in light of what you've tasted, present your bodies, firstly a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's the least you can do, he says. That's your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, 
Someone interpreted that, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Think of the godly man of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why? Because he's a godly man. And he says no to sin. And he won't let the world dictate how he should live and think. We battle the world's fashions. Notice something else very quickly. We battle the world's furies. Do you know this world is furious against the church and the people of God? This world will silence you by persecution. Think of the sword against the church in history. Think of the sword against the church today in Middle Eastern countries that are uh, controlled by militant Islamists. And the fear and the apprehension when believers meet in churches for worship or meet in, in their houses. There is a silence by persecution. Aye, there's even a silence by accusation. I, I was thinking of that bakery uh, in Newton Arge, Asher's Bakery. There's been a tremendous row about this refusal to bake this uh, gay cake or sodomite cake. And I was just thinking of the voice of slander. And the voice of ridicule that has already risen up against the owners, Christian owners, of the Asher Bakery. And I have been in touch with uh, Daniel MacArthur by phone and forwarding an email and just saying how we as a church and as a denomination would stand four square for the right of conscience to, to refuse to do anything that they feel that is an infringement upon their Christian belief and their liberty. But, but I just thought, there's the world in Northern Ireland and they're furious against that little Christian bakery. And they're trying to silence them by accusation of wrongdoing. That's the way the world works. And of course, silence by infiltration. People today talk about the church coming into the world. And the church, or the world coming into the church. And isn't that true? That, that, that many have come in as, as angels of light, wolves in sheep's clothing, and they've come in not to spare the flock of God, but, but to slaughter the flock of God. And you and I have to determine in your mind, against the world's furies, when it silences us or tries to by persecution, accusation, infiltration, you and I have to stand four square and say, in this battle, I will yield to none. We also battle the world's friendships. Dr. Paisley used to say to us as students, woe unto you when all men speaks well of you. And he says, I get worried when people start speaking well and highly of me. He told us, students, if the world smiles upon you and heals you as a great person and, and lauds you with accolades, then you ought to beware for they're out for something. They're out for your downfall and destruction. Doesn't James chapter 4 and 4 talk about friendship with the world? He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
Now, being a friend of sinners is different than being in friendship with the world. Battling the world's frauds. The world is full of frauds. The church is full of frauds. Many will say to me, Jesus said in that last day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And they'll tell him of the things that they've said and done in his name. And then he says, I will never, I, I, I say unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here's the battle of all ages. It's a battle that rages for our soul. The fashions of the world, the furies, the friendship, the frauds of the world. Don't be a hypocrite. Be true to Christ. Yes, it's true that in this little church we need your support. We appreciate your faithful attendance. We appreciate your sacrifice of time, your talents, your ties. We appreciate your prayers. We ask you to stand with us. Here's a terrible battle. And you're in it if you're born of God. And I'm in it. And we stand together to to be overcomers. And we need to recognize the enemy. We need to encourage each other. We need to see the world for who and what it is. It'll come in many disguises. We need to be on our guard. Don't be overcome. Be an overcomer. You can only be an overcomer if you're born of God. You're not overcoming your own strength and power. You're only overcoming the power of the Spirit. Notice finally. There's a triumphant belief. But what, what does it say there? If you look back at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. You see, this was the thing that bothered me. This was the thing I was really asking Dr. Paisley, our former moderator, about. What does this really mean? Uh, our faith. Uh, overcoming. Uh, and he, he, he told me, and I believe rightly, that... The, the reference to faith here was twofold. It was faith objectively in Christ. It was that body of truth that centers around the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Who he is. The only begotten Son of God. God incarnate. Let's remember, Jesus was not only a great man, a good man. He was the God man. And, and isn't this something that John emphasizes Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is what? The Son of God. Believeth. Present continuous tense. Trusting in that truth. Adhering to that truth. Relying on the truth. Not only who he is, but why he came. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to see of that which was lost. He came to seek and to see of lost sinners. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let's think of what he did. Christ died for the ungodly. Let's think of where he's at now. He's at God's right hand. The doctrine of the resurrection. The doctrine of ascension. The doctrine of his uh, offices of prophet, priest and king. An objective thing, you see. And, and when we see it in that light, even our faith, that body of truth, those propositions that we say are true because the scripture teaches and says that they're true. And then it's subjectively our faith in him. Faith that helps us to look to him. See, how are we going to win this battle? 
He's already fought and won and we look to him. We're in union with him and we share in his victory. And not only do we look to him, but we live for him. The very fact that you're here this morning in the house of God is an indication that you're living for him. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And not only living for him, but loyal to him. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. And we need to do that. You see, there has to be an aspect of faith. And part of that faith in Christ is being loyal to Christ. When somebody speaks ill of him, or speaks against him, in a derogatory manner, then we're willing to say, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I don't agree with you. And, and speak the truth in love, but speak for Christ. Aye, and labour for Christ. And that ties into what I said about needing your support. We need to labour for Christ in our community. There's men in the community of no thought, fear, no regard for God. There's many boys and girls in our community that we could try to reach, help to build our Sunday school work, help to build our children's work. And we need you to volunteer. Let me just finish. I was thinking yesterday as I led the act of remembrance in the demonstration field in Margaret Hill about those that volunteered in battle and how they gave themselves sacrificially did you know that many from that 36th Ulster Division, on the first day of July, they had actually uh, little orange ribbons attached to their uniform that wrote the words, No Surrender. Some had written No Surrender on their rifles and attached orange ribbons. And the minute the bugle sounded at 7.30 a.m. in the morning in July, they were up and over the top and rushing the German line, and they were heard by other members of the British Army who were still in the trenches, crying, no surrender. And I just thought, that's the spirit that we need in the church. No surrender to the enemy, no quarter to the flesh, the world or the devil. Overcometh. How? Because we're born of God. And we recognize we're in a terrible battle. How can we overcome our faith in him? What we objectively believe about him. All that the Bible teaches. And what we experience subjectively. Forsaking all. I trust him. I trust him for salvation. I trust him for everything else. May the Lord bless this little word to our hearts this morning.